The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. If you're tired of getting contractors in to fix your leaky roof and need to find out that your roof still leaks, it's time to sort that leak out for good. Rubber Roofs manufacture and apply the rubber paint to your roof. Your roof will look great and won't leak anymore. Rubber Roofs offer a 10-year warranty. Rubber Roofs is the trusted name in roof waterproof. You can find out more at www.rubberroofs.co.za. A very good afternoon to you on this, the 3rd of April 2023. Hard to believe that uh, these months are literally flying past us. Very important month and a week, in fact, in both the Christian and Jewish calendar. It is a Good Friday and Easter Sunday this coming weekend. And of course, for all of our listeners, it's Pesach. Joining me in a couple of minutes is... A very well-known freelance investigative journalist, Oliver Meth, and we're going to be chatting about a topic that has taken South Africa's imagination by absolute storm. Another case that uh, captured the South African imagination was that of AKA, and unfortunately, there were a couple of uh, media blunders last week in respect of arrests that had purportedly been made in respect of the AKA assassination, and there were all these rumblings and rumors and innuendo during the rounds. And then, of course, we were hit with the realization that three people were released and one person appeared on charges of an unrelated robbery. We were hoping that this could be the turnaround that we're hoping to see within the South African police services, that we can see that they are committed and they have the necessary expertise and tools to investigate so many crimes that are out there at the moment, so many crimes that are making headlines, so many crimes that beggar belief due to how bizarre some of them truly are. We're looking at the assassination of Whistleblowers, we look at the assassination of liquidators, we look at the assassination of music artists, and then, of course, this high-profile escape, which is going to be the topic of our conversation in a few minutes with Oliver Meth. I'd like to remind you, of course, that the views expressed on the show are necessarily those of mine uh, or Chai FM, and uh, I look forward to joining you straight after this break. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. In a country wrecked by crime, not much surprises South Africans anymore. However, the Tabo Besta escape saga has caught everybody's attention and is one of the most bizarre crime stories ever. Joining me now on the line is Oliver Meth, who was one of the investigative journalists at the forefront of the story. Oliver, very good morning to you. Good morning, good morning, Tom, um, Chad. Thanks for having me. Oliver, I had to chat to you. Um, you were at the forefront of the story, as was the organization Ground Up. We're seeing a lot of media houses jumping on the bandwagon. A lot of effort is being made by multiple investigative journalists to try to get scoop upon scoop upon scoop. But mm. let's go back a little bit in time. Ground Up was researching this for quite some time, and there was, I wouldn't say ridicule, but people at first weren't willing to take this seriously, yet... Ground Up and its journalists have been 100% vindicated in what has become an exceptionally bizarre story. 
Yes, yes, most definitely. And it's been folding like a Netflix drama series. And as you've rightfully said that um, Ground Up and together with um, the investigative team started off this investigation in, uh, in November last year, um, largely prompted by rumors that, that were circulating online whether or not um, um, Tabo Besta had actually died in that cell 35 in the Mangalore Maximum Prison or whether he had escaped. And these rumors that were circulating online were testimonies of women who 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 had said that they had interactions or or encountered um Tabo Besta post May 2022. So we started questioning various aspects around whether did he die, whether did he um, escape, and what led us to that was the first piece of evidence around the DNA of a woman who we now believe to be his biological mother did not match that of the body that was found in that cell on on May the 3rd. And then we started piecing together and chatting to um, the Department of Correctional Services. And through various sources at the prison, we were able to um, at least source a piece of CCTV footage from that prison. And in that footage shows two adult figures on the early morning of the fire hastily walking out the prison exit. And that got us then questioning, um, you know, the various protocols that that um, that were carried out on that morning of the fire. And we started chatting to some inmates and then started getting an avalanche of evidence, both from inside the prison and from general society. And the avalanche of information that we got then actually told us that it was quite evident that um, Tabo Besta did not die in that cell. Um, he had escaped and was assisted um, by various prison officials and also well-known prominent members within society. Um, so from that, there were images that were leaked on social media that actually show um, Tabo Besta, together with his accomplice, Dr. Nandipa, um, seen at the Woolworths in um, Santon Shopping Centre um, last year, June, which was ideally a month after the Department of Correctional Services reported that he had died in that fire and that his body was badly, was, uh, badly charred. So since then, it's been, yeah, um, it's been mind-boggling. Um, we've been getting calls and evidence and leads almost on a daily. And yeah, we continue to unravel um, the story and piece together the various pieces um, to understand exactly what happened on the 3rd of May and whose responsibility is it actually to ensure the safety of um, general society and the proper administration and running of the Mangohu Maximum Prison. So, Oliver, one thing I need to say is dogger determination is what made the story possible. And it was done through Ground Up. And Ground Up hasn't had the best of years in respect of funding challenges and other challenges that have faced the organization. Yet they were dedicated to this particular investigation and they put so much effort and resource into it considering the circumstances. Now, you look at other media houses that have got Funding that have got facilities that have got infrastructure they've got teams at their disposal they didn't seem to put in much effort and mm. we've now got a very well-known journalist he used to be with the Sunday Times claiming that he knew about this way back in May I think he says the 22nd of May of of 2022 that begs the question well this is such a huge interesting story why did nobody follow it on yeah yeah 
Um, so I read that article by Mzile Gaze and um, I have various questions because what he's published is not new to what we've already published at least two weeks ago around the fact that there were various officials who knew about the escape. And um, I think one of the second or third articles that we published um, around this was around the fact that um, that the Correctional Services Deputy Minister and Patagile Holomisa was informed of this fake death cover-up um, by the prison wardens that enabled Tabo Besto to escape in an email that was sent to him on the 11th of June. And that's like nearly a month after this escape had happened. And we also know that um, in the lead-up to his um, supposed demise, um, he had been running um, a multimedia um, uh, um, a multi-million run media company, well, what we now know to be a scam operation. And the minister, together with various officials, both G4S and, and um, Correctional Services, um, based at the Mangohong Prison, were informed through various affidavits sent to both IPAD, um, to both um, Correctional Service senior officials. And so this was well known, and we've documented it in, in our various articles. And um, so I... So what um, Zilekazi has um, published this week, I don't think it's something new. It's it's just a much more elaborate piece that speaks to all the evidence that we've managed to gather. But what's also questioning on that piece, and I mean, I've spoken to SNDF on a number of occasions together with Home Affairs, particularly around, you know, monitoring of the border and what the Border Management Authority has told me together with the Department of Home Affairs is that the incident that Zerikazi highlights there of the shootout with SNDF is something that they don't have information on. It's not something that's been recorded as an incident. So, yeah, I'm just questioning that second part in terms of this. The article is riddled with a lot of unknown sources, which which raises questions around um, um, around the allegation he makes of a shootout and of Tabo Bester then leaving the country. But what we do know at this stage in terms of intel is that there is a search and the net has been cast wide by all authorities to look for him. So there isn't any confirmation um, either by the SNDF, as Msilakazi indicates that um, both Bester and Dr. Nandipa managed across the border, that they have left the country. What we understand through authorities is that there is surveillance both on cell phone recordings um, that, in fact, Tabo Bester is still in the country. Well, that's why we're chatting to you today, because we're chatting to a person from an organization that broke a story that has captured the imaginations of South Africans. And it's a story that has kept us literally glued to the papers, glued to our screens. And what we've seen come out of this is a lot of different media houses actually acknowledging ground up for the incredible work that was done in terms of this investigation. And for me, investigative journalist, journalism is, is, is critical and investigative journalists don't seem to follow the, 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 the manner in which we've seen investigative journalism over the years. The way this story was done, is harking back to a bygone era where people didn't rely 100% on social media. They weren't looking for that instant type of gratification by sending out a premature headline, but instead waited. And for that, of course, kudos to you. We're going to take a quick break. When I come back, Oliver, I want to chat to you more about the person that is Oliver uh, that, 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 that is Tabo Bester, rather. What Oliver Meth has discovered while researching this man, Tabo Bester. We'll be back straight after this. 
Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. I'm very fortunate today to be in conversation with Oliver Meth. He's a freelance investigative journalist that brought us a lot regarding the Tabo Besta story that Ground Up broke. It's a story that has captivated the imaginations of South Africans and is being written about everywhere. And everybody has a story to tell. Oliver, my greatest concern in this particular story is people are forgetting about who Tabo Besta is they forgetting about the fact that long before there was a Tinder swindler, South Africa had a Facebook rapist. It was something that was frightening. It was something that a lot of people still to this day have anxiety um, over, whether they were victims or potential victims. We have somebody who was accused and found guilty of murder. So we're not just talking about a brazen escape and talking about how this escape took place. We're talking about somebody that <coughs> displays some seriously, seriously bad traits. Over the, over this time that you've been researching this story, tell us what you've discovered about Tabu Besta, the person. So Tabu Besta is known to be um, a childhood um, delinquent. He's had a string of misdemeanors dating back from 2009. Um, he's been in juvenile facilities for acts such as theft and fraud um, in his teenage years. And since then, he's kind of upped his game and went more into the scamming and luring of women through uh, various social media platforms. We now know that the latest he's been operating is through Instagram. So in 2009, he was in a juvenile facility for um, scamming and defrauding a neighbor within his hometown. Um, um, he subsequently served um, correctional service. Um, um, he subsequently served um, community service um, under the guardianship um, of 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 his parents. And so he um he was released under custody to his parents and um served um community service for that crime in two thousand and nine. Um we know that he was convicted in twenty twelve um for a string of robberies and rapes and the murder of Numfundo um D um Dielani. Um, in Cape Town, but also he has a very complex psyche and it's something that I've been trying to get my mind across, um, you know, just understanding his networks, how he operates and how he's able to actually tap into these very elite spaces. Um, so coming across various video footage of interviews with him and also just trying to map um, his network or well, his web of networks in terms of how he's managed to accumulate this wealth now. He has this psyche of being very trustworthy. He comes across as being very trustworthy, well-groomed, well-spoken, very convincing and also cunning in a way. And I think that's the way he's managed to capture and lure these women um, um, under the false pretense of offering them uh, modeling contracts. And also more recently to these investors, um, we, we now know through the evidence that they've gathered that he's managed to swindle a number of investment companies, um, both in South Africa and abroad, particularly in um, Dubai, um, um, posing as a director that is rolling out various 
um, community initiatives around rolling out ARVs to communities, providing food and nutrition to ECD communities. So I think just his way of manipulation and his smooth talking, I think, is something that's very questionable around the character and the psyche that he has um, um, that kind of enables him to um, continue committing these crimes. What scares me, Oliver, is that this is a super criminal who isn't afraid of using violence. We've seen people commit theft and fraud in the past and escalate to these type of scams, but you don't generally see the human interaction where they come into contact with victims and can hurt and even kill those victims. This is, of course, what's of grave concern. He's got nothing to go back to. He's got a life sentence. So would this make him even more dangerous now that he's out there? Um, I would assume so, yes, most definitely. Um, so um, we chatted to his mother um, two weeks ago, and his mother did describe him as well as a very troubled child with a short temper, very obsessive as well, and also controlling if if he doesn't get his way. So he usually throws a tam- t- um, tantrum and would often get violent. So my worry is that, um, he's still out there, and should he be confronted either by police or by society, um, um, hearing the testimony from his mother, and also just, you know, through the different um, psychology reports um, that we've got through um, various prison officials, he could be one that's—he um, um, could be one that's of danger in society. So I am quite sure that um, if approached and seeing now that he's under threat, um, he could react in a very violent manner. Oliver, let's talk about his accomplice. She's with him. She obviously fell in love with this man. Um, She's now in so deep. Is she on the run because she loves him? Is she on the run because she sees no alternative? And is she safe to be on the run with this man? I think she's on the run because um, she sees no alternative and she is in love with this man. They've had a long history um, um, dating back to 2011 when he was um, first convicted. They opened up various companies together with her as co-director and him as partner on a number of entities, at least five that we now know of. Um, So their relationship spans a a way back and through her own affidavit testimony, she has said that they had met Earlier on in the 2000s, um, when she had still been at varsity, and he, um, as she claims, um, was um, studying theology at the time, and they met and fell in love then. And that's through the affidavit that she made um, um, a few days after the fire last year in May, where she had approached the Hilbra mortuary to claim the remains of the body that was found there. And in that court and in that high court interdict that was submitted, she claims to be one of his customary wives. And we've now got to know the relationship that they've had since um, 2011 through those affidavits made. Um, so I think it's both that she is in love with him. She is in too deep because she's been an accomplice throughout these crimes that he's executed. Um, she's known the relationship from 2011. Um, she's been involved in these scam operations while he was running them from prison and subsequently assisted him um, through, um, um, assisted him together with the prison officials to actually escape. 
Oliver, what's a shock to all of us um, is that we hold professionals to such a high standard. And we've now found out that up until 2021, where she didn't pay her fees, she was a doctor in good standing with the, the necessary regulatory authority. What does it say to us as society that we tend to hold people to such high standards without considering that at the end of the day, everybody has their own specific psyche and can act out at any time? Mm-hmm. It does have a lot. I mean, it relinquishes the trust that society has, particularly in professionals such as Dr. Nandipa, because we would expect them to abide by an ethic that is of higher morale um, um, compared to um, compared to other professions. Um, yeah, so I think for us it's just a matter of, you know, looking deeper into the people that we interact with in terms of research and who we engage with and also understanding, yeah, that as you said, everybody has a dark background and I think we should just put it carefully. But I think it's an unfortunate situation as well. Like, I think it just creates a lot of suspicion now when we engage with people, who they are, who are their networks, and what kind of work or schemes are they involved or incriminated in. So I think it's a bit of a tricky question to answer, but I think it is one about just more caution when we're navigating basic and understanding who we do business and confide with. So a lot of people have been asked to comment on this because of the particular space they occupy. When I was asked about the escape, I said it was incompetence, negligence, and corruption of the highest order. <laughs> Gaten McKenzie was also, invest, uh, was also interviewed, and he gave a list, as somebody who'd been in prison, a list of things that should have been done and requirements for such a prison break to take place. But one thing that no one can dispute is that this is an organized crime. It was well-organized, well-planned, well-executed, but more importantly, well-funded. Give us your synopsis on the actual escape and who may have been involved. So um, Tabo Besta had been planning his escape at least a month before last year. Um, And we know that now that five G4S security officials have been implicated um, who are on duty on the night of the fire. And three of them have now been fired. The other two are still facing suspension pending the ongoing investigation. And a man who we've now got to uncover and reveal in our article last week is Senoho Matsora, who is one of the G4S security officials, who is the security supervisor at the Mangohung prison. And we know that he is the mastermind behind orchestrating this together with other officials inside and outside of the prison. So what happened is that the fire that broke out, there was two explosions on the morning of the 3rd at 3 a.m. that occurred. The first explosion um, happened, um, which was a decoy for all security officials within that passage of the segregation cells, which is based on the second floor of the Mangohung prison, where Tabo Besta cell was at um, cell 35, was used to divert all the, all, all the security guards on that floor to an emergency exit. When the second explosion happened, uh, what we now understand is that the fire then belted through the corridors, um, causing smoke, and that's when what we 
now assumed to be um, Thabo Besta and the second adult figure who we've seen in the CCTV footage, an opportunity for them to be whisked out through the back exit. Um, we've also now come to understand that the body that was found there was actually not that of Thabo Besta. And Correctional Service has, has um, confirmed this, and also as well as the DNA that um, we received. So you would know that the DNA results obviously state that the body was at least um, 70, 75 centimeters shorter than that of Tabo Besters that the prison had recorded. The prison's, re- um, um, the prison's recordings of Tabo Besters' height was, was one, was, was 175 centimeters. Um, we also know that according to the DNA that, that the hands and and the upper torso of the body was badly burnt and that the body did not die of smoke inhalation. And what the coroner now says is that the body could at least have died a week or two prior because there were internal organs that that had already started decomposing. So that is quite evident that that the escape that was planned by the G4S officials made known to the Deputy Minister of Correctional Service, um, Patrick Ede Holomise, and various other officials higher up within um, within um, correctional services that the fire was used as a decoy orchestrated over a month to assist Tabo Bester to escape. But questions still remain as to whose body was it. And since last week, we've managed to uncover that the very same official who I've mentioned, Sunoho, who was a G4S um, security supervisor, had wheeled in this body through the back exit after an unidentified vehicle um, came into the prison prisons without actually signing in. So we don't have logging. um, There's no logbook signing in of the vehicle, which now can be seen in the outside CCTV footage, um, offloading this body and Sunoyo then um, collecting it and wheeling it into the prison with was uh, wheeling it into the prison with the wheelchair. Um, so that body was wheeled into the wheelchair. And if you understand the structure of the prison, from that exit, you get into the admin section and um, to the back part of the admin section of the prison. And the stairs, which is the fire exit, lead to the second floor and at least the third door from the second floor of the fire exit up to the second floor is actually the cell of Tabo Bestas. So the body was wheeled in through that back door exit and subsequently placed into the kitchen deep freezer at least what we understand now could be a day or two through the coroner report. And then on the early morning of the night of the fire, that body was placed in that cell after the two explosions that were made as a decoy. Um, there's also questions which I understand form part of this investigation that's been run by um, the various um, justice and police um, um, clusters around how could have petrol or paraffin um, gotten into into uh, Bester's prison cell, which um, which um, DCS had alleged last year that that's the way that Tabo Bester had set himself alight. There's also questions that have been raised around, you know, there are numerous questions to be raised around um, G4S, um, the company that runs the prison, and also it raises very serious questions for correctional services, which has, to some extent, um, been aware of this, um, but had not gone public with it. And also serious questions just in general around the police 
and that um, Thabo Best, uh, you know, has been on the run for a while. And in light of the series of reports that we've managed to reveal and also evidence that we've submitted to these entities, one would have expected much more action from the police. And we are not aware of what's been done by the police at this stage. They've been very mumminant. But we do know that there's an ongoing investigation and what's actually been a highlight moment, particularly for myself, has been part of the investigative team at Ground Up, has been that a lot that's been um, um, reported on at the press briefing by the National Commissioner, actually revealed by the National Commissioner in terms of their own internal investigation, actually um, vindicates us because it's exactly how we had um, detailed the escape to happen. It's exactly what we have been reporting on in terms of the officials that have been implicated and now subsequently um, um, suspended and fired. We're chatting to Oliver Meth about the extraordinary escape of Tabu Besta, the fact that this is an organized crime, and the fact is there were so many opportunities for this plan to fail, yet it succeeded against all odds, and now it's up to the state to be able to address these massive shortcomings. When we come back, I'm going to be chatting to Oliver about the subsequent cover-up. Confidential Brief is proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. I'm in conversation today with Oliver Meth, one of the journalists who was at the forefront of the ground-up story into the escape of Tabo Besta. And one thing that has stood out, especially in our conversation with Oliver today, is that there had been a suspicion for a very long time, but absolutely nothing was done about it. Why do you think the officials chose to go quiet and go into deniability mode, Oliver? So... Yeah, Tabo Besta had a network um, of prominent business people who have linkages to various high-ranking politicians and contracts with the state as well. And my suspicion is why a lot of the people who were informed chose to ignore the information that they received could ideally be because of their own relations with these people who who have been implicated and we will reveal names in the in the coming weeks. But also I think it's just a lack. So we know that firstly the email, which was the first red flag for us that we picked up that started, you know, spurring on the conversation, um, that um particularly Holomisa had 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 and received and which up to date he still claims that he's unable to track it in his email. But we do know that he did receive it because he had subsequently responded to the very same whistleblower um, who had sent an email a month before on a matter unrelated to the Tabobesta matter. Um, so we do know that that is his email address. He's been in correspondence with the same whistleblower on a number of other issues that, that occurred in the prison around corruption and collusion, but chose to ignore this specific matter on um, Tabobesta. And that, from what I understand, could be um, a maladministration issue or it could simply be um, that somebody within the office had not been doing their work. And through the intel information that I received from the Justice Ministry, um, we know that there's a 500-page um, report that the Minister of Justice, um, Ronald um, Lamula, has handed to the Police Minister, um, Begitlele, on Friday afternoon. And in this report, um, 
the indicates um, these um, recommendations around looking into the three officials' conduct. So these are the three officials that have been the three DSC officials who have been um, suspended thus far, and also other people who are now implicated in that internal report, who are high-ranking officials, particularly the head of legal and contract, um, for 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 not playing their role in the oversight of managing the contractor. Um, we also know that that the department now has. Um, has um, put together a tracking and tracing team to look for BESTA. But the report ideally implicates these three people and also implicates various other... We seem to have lost Oliver there. Oliver? We lost Oliver. We are going to get him back on the line. This has been a completely um, fascinating story. Oliver's taken us into the the inside of this particular investigation that Ground Up did, the investigation into the brazen escape of Tabo Besta, who's now on the run together with his girlfriend. And uh, I don't know how this is going to end. I cannot see it ending well. Is this a man who wants to go back to prison um, knowing that he, he faces even more charges? He was already sentenced to life without much option of, of ever coming out um, lawfully. Or is this going to be a situation where perhaps there needs to be a further cover-up? And that's the biggest concern here. Because what we're hearing from Oliver is that there were a lot of people involved in this. It wasn't just a prison break coordinated by his girlfriend on the outside. Oliver has told us that there are a lot of people. Oliver has rejoined us. Oliver, if you carry on from where you left off. Sure. So we do know that... um Sorry, I'm just trying to be careful about how I mention this. Um, we do know that um, that the woman who um, is um, a DCS official, the Department of Correctional Service official, who was tasked with um, with the with the investigation um, after Tabo Besta um, had reported had reportedly um, died in his cell, as one of the women who the Justice Ministry has. Um, has implicated in the report um, and made recommendations for the Minister of Police to investigate um, her relations and why that report was not handed to the Ministry on time. So we know through the press briefing that the National Commissioner had was that that this internal report was concluded long ago last year. I think he had mentioned last year in August. And the report subsequently only landed on his table on the 23rd of March this year. That's at least weeks after Granup started doing this expose. So there are questions around her own involvement and the reasons why um, um, she withheld that report from from the um, from the minister and and the national commissioner. And she's one of the three officials um, um, of the DSC officials um, who the report now recommends um, for the police minister to look into that conduct and whether or not to institute any criminal charges. Um, there are also prominent business people um, who, um, who at least in the next coming weeks, depending on how far our own investigations go, so far we've managed to reveal that there had been bankrolling Tower Bester's lifestyle 
um, through the various investment companies that he had while he was in prison and also making payments to various other people outside of prison on his behalf, um, particularly the G4S security, um, um, the G4S security officials. Um, Sunoho being one of them who purchased um, a brand new T-Rock from a dealership in Mendlin that cost at least 600,000 rand. And this, um, um, as we know through the circumstantial evidence that we've gathered, was purchased through um, through this business person's dealings um, with um, Tabo Besta and these um, prison officials. So, yeah, so just connecting the dots is that this was a well-coordinated uh, network that Tabo Besta ran with a lot of confidants and, and business associates who are politicians and 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 are very prominent business people within society. So these are all people who have 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 abetted and aided um, Tabo Besta in orchestrating this escape and the fake death cover up that occurred on the third of May last year. Oliver, in closing, um, the story is going to just become more and more dramatic as more information comes out. How do you think this is going to end, especially considering the fact that there are so many high-profile people that may be linked to this should he be caught? So I'm quite keen to see what the various reports look like. So the DCS report, um, I think, is quite sufficient. And 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 it correlates with a lot of information that that we have, we as journalists have actually gathered and um, and reported on. My skepticism is around the police report um, because very little is known about um, the scope of their investigation um, and and whether or not that made any leads, particularly in freezing bank accounts that are owned by Tabo Besta and Dr. Nandipa, and whether or not an alert has been issued for them, and how far they are in in particularly apprehending or calling into questioning the people through the evidence that we've given them, those people that have been implicated through various transactions and phone records in the last coming months with um, Tabo Besta, um, in conversation around various issues that he had been planning or scamming as a way to leave the country or continue his hideout. Um, so how it would pan out, um, I can't really say at this stage, but I think um, what those investigation reports would look like would then ideally give us an understanding or lead on whether or not um, the police service are actually acting um, accordingly to ensure that um, Tabo Besta and Dr. Nandepa and all the others implicated are actually brought to book. But we are hoping as well um, through tomorrow's um, parliamentary um, portfolio committee meeting that we would get much more information with both the Minister of Police and Justice coming forward in front of that committee to answer to various questions. And, and some of those questions would be ideally around how did they miss this escape? How did they overlook this information? And ideally what's been done and what kind of mechanisms are being put into place to ensure that those involved are actually brought to account. Oliver Meth, both you and Ground Up are owed a massive debt of gratitude. You've shown us that investigative journalism is well and is alive in South Africa and that it doesn't take just a few minutes to upload 
a saucy headline, but it actually takes months of research to put together a proper story. And for that, we're very grateful. We're looking forward to chatting to you again soon once this reaches whatever end it's going to reach. We hope that this isn't going to be another Senzomiyewa type story where this litmus test for the saps showing that they have capacity, that they have the expertise and that they can solve these crimes lets us down once again. We really hope that this litmus test this time will show that they are very capable. But of course, to you and the team at Ground Up, our gratitude. Thank you so much. That was Oliver Meth, who was bringing us the inside story of their investigation into the Tabu Besta escape, a story that has gripped South Africa, a story that is quite unbelievable. One will remember that we had the Facebook rapist more than a decade ago. That was long before the Tinder Swindler, long before all these Netflix series. And that very same person has now pulled off the most audacious escape, most probably in South African history and most probably one of the top five escapes the world has ever seen. We hope that this ends well. We know that the victims are being re-traumatized, those that fell victim to him when he was still known as the Facebook rapist, where he was purportedly um, recruiting models and then robbing them and raping some of them. And, of course, there has to still be justice for the lady that died in Cape Town, the lady that he murdered. Uh, we want to know who the body is in the cell. We want to know who helped. We want to see people held accountable. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'll be back at the same time uh, next week right here on 11.9 High FM. I want to remind you that uh, it's, not, it's through our sponsors that we're able to, to bring you these shows. Confidential Brief was proudly brought to you by Rubber Roofs, the trusted name in roof waterproofing. If you're tired of getting contractors in to fix your leaky roof only to find out that your roof still leaks, well, then it's time to sort that leak out for good. Rubber Roofs manufacture and apply the rubber paint to your roof. Your roof will look great and won't leak anymore. Rubber Roofs offer a 10-year warranty. Rubber Roofs is the trusted name in roof waterproofing. You can find out more at www.rubberroofs.co.za. My name is Chad Thomas, and you keep safe out there.